Reading Limitless Love, April the 6th and 7th, Gloria Copeland. The details make the difference. Finally, be you all of one mind, having compassion one another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessings, knowing that you are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing, First Peter 3, 8 and 9. Our idea of love and God's idea of love are often very different. We may think that as long as we don't hit anyone or steal anything major, we're walking in love. God, however, isn't satisfied with that. He wants us to be loving in our everyday interactions. He wants us to love to affect even the details of our lives. That's why he tells us in 1 Corinthians 13.5, the Amplified Bible, that love isn't rude or unmanly, unmannerly. It doesn't act unbecomingly. Does not Emily Post talking. It's not mismanners giving us a suggestion we can ignore. It's God speaking to us from the Bible and requiring us to be courteous towards one another. It is God commanding us not to be rude. Even when we're in a restaurant and the service is bad, even when a telephone solicitor calls during a dinner, even when we just desperately want some peace and quiet and the neighbors are parting loudly next door, we are not allowed to be rude. We can say something in those situations if necessary. We can point out the problems and make courteous requests, but I'm doing so, we must make sure that we do it kindly and in love. We aren't allowed to make excuses either. We can't say, I know I was mean, so that waitress, but I was so irritated, I couldn't help myself. That kind of reasoning just won't fly. If your boss irritated you, you you wouldn't act that way. You wouldn't say, hey, you jerk, this memo is full of errors, get it off my desk. No, irritated or not, you're be nice to your boss. You be courteous because it might cost you your job to be one way, any other way. That proves you can control your reactions. You, we must put the same kind of thinking to work in the rest of our lives. We must realize that when we're discourteous to those around us, it costs us dearly. It costs us to our Christian witness. Who wants to hear about the love of God from someone who has been unkind to them? It costs us the opportunity to brighten someone else's day. Most important all, it costs us the privilege of pleasing the Lord. Keep that in mind the next time some little thing goes wrong and you're tempted to be rude. Don't be deceived into thinking such small unkindness go unnoticed by the Lord when it comes to love. God is interested in the details because in the day-to-day living, it's the details that make the difference. Um, Fernando, I don't know about you, but it just seems a little a little too much to be so, uh, you know, that you can't uh, speak the truth with enthusiasm, humor, and joy. And, uh, you know, trying to put so much brakes on your on your soul it's not living
It's not living, you know, you can't do much, do anything, you're going to hurt somebody, you know. People are going to get hurt anyway. People, some people, you know, to be happy, uh, enthusiastic, and in love with God. And that's primary reason. We should be, we should be okay, you know, talking with others and raising things out. We know how to act. Here we go. Our next one's April 7th. When your enemies stumble. A righteous mouth falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Do not rejoice when your enemy fails, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, or the Lord will see it and be displeased and turn his anger away from him. Proverbs 24, 16, 18. If we're walking in love, we will never gloat over anyone's failure, not even the failures and wicked and sinful people. We won't smile with satisfaction when we heard that the person was broke up the best friend's marriage is now going through a divorce. When corrupt polit- politicians stumble and fall, we won't be among those who make jokes about them. Even when criminals and terrorists who have brought us or our nation serious harm finally meet their destruction love will keep us from rejoicing we all need to remember that because those things are going to happen the bible makes it clear that the wicked always meet a bad end everyone who insists on living on sin ignores the warnings of god will eventually be overtaken by calamity psalm 73 says of the lord thou deceive them the wicked and set them up in simply praises thou couldst them down into destruction how are they brought into desolation in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors when those terrors come however first corinthians thirteen six says that the love does not rejoice it does not celebrate our enemy's defeat On the contrary, it will cause us to pray for them and say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Isn't that what Jesus did? He had compassion on those who crucified him. He knew they were to rule by the the darkness, even though they had willingly allowed themselves to be the instruments of evil. Jesus still forgave them. That's just the way God is. Even when we mistreat him, even when we talk badly about him, If we'll repent, he'll forgive us and hold nothing against us. He'll have mercy upon us by letting us receive his son as our savior so we can have a whole new life. As God's children, we'll be the same way. We're to have mercy upon the wicked until their vent last breath. When we see them reaping the the tragic fruit of their ways, we should ask God to grant them a spirit of repentance so that they might escape from the devil's snare. Who knows how many such requests have been uttered and answered? Who knows now many wicked men in the final seconds of life have called on the name of the Lord and been saved because some saint of God chose the way, love and pray. Well, the Bible tells us to rejoice ahead of time in some situation that God has it. Isn't that uh, rejoicing for victory ahead of time? Didn't the Israelites uh, rejoice when they 
shouted up against uh, Jericho, you know, rejoicing ahead of time and to be enthusiastic, even that you have enemies and that God is going to take care of your enemies, rejoicing that says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, you know, that God's got it. Jesus has it. We turn everything over to Jesus. And we rejoice when that situation, person, places in Jesus' hands. And we leave it there. And we're rejoicing and we're rejoicing. I remember one time uh, I prayed for this one truck driver. And uh, we were having differences. I don't know. I told him to get back into going to meetings and get back into serving God. And he... And he said, oh, I did that 15 years ago and stuff. I was really involved and so forth. And while he was there, I I, I kind of kicked him in the tail and the butt. I said, Johnny, you know, seek the Lord. And uh, he, the guy was just going to go do some, uh, some plumbing work at his house. He had pulled a lot of money. I met him at the parking lot. I just happened to be reading my Bible and he came out, another truck driver. We were both truck driving from the same company. And uh, he said he had a cesspool to go do and reconnect it or something. But I don't know. I guess I put a, a bad taste in his butt when I kicked him. I didn't kick him hard, you know, just slap him. And I said, hey, serve the Lord, Johnny. I don't know what happened at his job. I don't know if the cesspool busted the pipe right in his face and the whole job went berserk, but he was fit to be tied about 30 days later after I saw him, because there's about 400 truck drivers coming in and out in the facility. When I did finally see him around 1.30, 2 in the morning at the job site, oh, man, he was fit to be tied. I had to tell him, okay, Johnny, let's go out to the railroads and finish this off and stop yelling in front of all the, the, the staff here, the the dispatchers and so forth, you know, and uh, he didn't want to go. So anyway, I I got so uh, mad and, and angry. I don't care about this job. I let my beard grow, and I didn't shave, and uh, is and then we're getting. Uh, I try to confront him out in the yard, and he just swings his truck real close to me, like he wants to run over me. I'm walking truck and trailer anyway make a long story even longer um i i understand that 552 says for us to get on our knees and pray for that person for their happiness for their soul for their soul to be healthy to prosperous and be have happiness so i finally did i just got done and started praying for him that's a form of turning it over i just surrendered and got on my knees and started praying for the person started praying i christian did the right thing, which a son of God acts like the father, right? So I started interceding and praying for him. And finally, I forgot about it. I turned it over, you know, uh, that anger left and everything, and I just grounded it, the problem. And then about another 30 days later, I'm going home, been a long ride delivering bread and working nice and just totally tired, 13, 14-hour days. I got my backpack, I'm going home, and another truck driver's walking with me, and we're going to our cars, and he tells me, hey, they fired somebody today. And I said, yeah, who? Johnny. And I said, they fired Johnny? He lost a 65, 
at that time was $65,000. That was a lot of money back in the 1998-97. That's over 25 years ago, I guess. Anyway, make a long story even longer. Um, I don't know what happened to him. And I'm thinking, wow. Oh, the reason he got fired is because he had rode up one of the trucks to fix it. And he rode in there, fixed the effing truck. And, and then he said, no, that's not me. I didn't write that, he told the company. The company did a word analysis, and they had to certify that, yeah, that's his writing. And they caught him for lying. I guess they had he had a bunch of records and stuff. You know, and they fired him there. And then uh, it happened again with another truck driver, another place, another facility. And I, I knew what to do. So I got on my knees and I started praying. This time it took less time. Only took nine days of praying. Then I saw God showed me like a light came from the east, from the sky towards the work site. And God showed me how, how much he loves his that man, that child of his, that lost child. Boom, I saw the love of God hit that man. And after that, I went up to him and I shook my hands and he smiled and I smiled. And it felt like water was spilled in the ground. Like there was no kind of hatred, not on his part, not on my part. And um, the guy had no teeth and he looked like he was a beer brawler and that's the way he acted all the time. So I just reacted to his acting and and then I'm the I'm the Christian. I'm the one with program. I'm the one who understands more. And so, and it's going to happen again. So I need to be ready. And it's happening. We always have confronting enemies. And we have to pray for their souls that Jesus will sprinkle their blood on their souls. We sprinkle them with help. We pray that they will have help. We sprinkle their souls with prosperity with the blood of Jesus, and we sprinkle their souls with happiness with the blood of Jesus. May they prosper. See, even if they have calamity, after we've been praying a long time, we're not going to react to it. We're just going to continue to go. We have surrendered the person completely, so we don't have any kind of reaction, either if the person wins or loses in life. It's not up to us. It's out of our hands. And that's the way it happened when I responded with that first truck driver. I didn't, there was no reaction in me then when he got fired. I didn't rejoice. I didn't, I didn't just, it was just like he was saying, oh, the weather is, is stormy today. I said, oh, okay. And so God's ways is the best way. And we all got old resentments. So old resentments, in order to get an old resentment that's embedded and is stuck and is not allowing us to live life fully, we start thanking God for that resentment and God will send you a brand new resentment. Ain't that great? He'll send you a new resentment so you can get that old resentment out. So, Okay, here we go again. Here comes a brand new resentment. So you got to pray for that person for 14 days. Get on your knees and we pray for their souls. What do we do this? Why don't we go ahead and pray for our enemies? Pick uh, one or two, up to six, up to 14 enemies. Let's say, for instance, all our enemies we ever com confronted in our lives, all the way back to childhood. And let's go, oh Lord, we ask you to, pr we pray and we ask you to bless every enemy, bless their souls with health in Jesus' name. Bless, 
bless their souls with prosperity and happiness, Lord. We just give our enemies to you, Lord, that you may prosper them, give them good health, and that they be enthusiastic in their lives, that they be well with their employer, well with communications and in communion with you, God, and that we devote them to you. We pray for their, Lord, their connection with the Father in heaven, that it be at peace, Lord. We intercede for them. Bless our enemies in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's the way we do things around here. We love, we pray for them and work it into the heavens so it'll never, it won't bother us again. It's a done deal. We have turned it over. Anyway, God bless you. Have a great time. Give them heaven and say, Jesus is Lord. Amen and amen. Yes, yes, yes. Limitless love, April 1st. A legacy that is worthy of the Lord. By this, all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John thirteen thirty five. What is your single greatest ambition in life? Have you ever thought about that? If Jesus tarries and you live out your days, what legacy will you leave behind? How will you be remembered? It seems many people in Christian circles these days are eager to be remembered as spiritual giants of faith and power. Others want to succeed financially and give great sums of money into the kingdom of God. Some relish the idea of having a reputation as a great teacher or a theologian who will be quoted for years to come. All those things are good, I suppose. But I can't help wondering what kind of impact we as believers would have on the world if we all made it our primary ambition, our life's greatest quest to be the most loving people the world has ever known. What would happen if our single highest aim was simple to love one another? I can tell you what would happen. The world would finally know we are truly the disciples of Jesus. They would at last see and recognize him in us. The world is absolutely starving for that kind of love. It's the only cure for the rejection and insecurity that plagues their life. It's the only remedy for the, of the depression and oppression they live with every day. Granted, they are looking for it in all the wrong places, but even so, they are looking for it. Imagine what happened if they suddenly began to see it in us. I once read the story of a missionary in China who lived a life of such love and self-sacrifice that it softened the hardest hearts around her, even men whose lives had been steeped in sin and cruelty, whose hearts were stubborn and scornful of the things of God, were won by the influence of this woman's kind and gentle way. Although she was just one small woman, by the time her life was through, she had reaped a great harvest of souls for the Lord. And most remarkable of all, the Chinese had nicknamed her the one who loves. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that was the people of the world called the church in the days to come? Wouldn't it be great if instead of referring to us as right-wingers or conservatives, fine as those titles might be, they began to refer us the one who loves. Truly, that would be the greatest legacy that would ever leave the only one that is really worthy of our Lord. You know, the other legacy could be is the one who laughs, the one who has humor and enjoys life. Amen. Same thing, isn't it? 
April the 2nd, Limitless Love, Gloria Copeland. A new kind of selfishness. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 1 Peter 3, 10 and 12. As believers, we ought to walk in love just because God commands us to. We should do it simply because we want to be a blessing to him and to his children. But the fact is, even if we didn't love the Lord, for the Lord's sake, we should do it for our own sake. Because when we walk in love, we enjoy our lives far more than when we don't. We're happier and we have better days when we live a life of love. Extending love to others so enhances our own joy and well-being that one Christian writer calls it a new kind of selfishness. Think about the ordinary events of life for a moment and you'll quickly see why when you're in line at the grocery store, for instance, and the clerk at the checkout counter is especially slow. If you choose to be irritable and impatient instead of loving and kind, you won't be happy. On the contrary, you'll become increasingly miserable as the minutes tick by all your fussing and fuming won't change the situation at all. It will make the clerk one bit faster. I know because I tried it. It won't get you out of the store one second sooner. It will just rob you of your peace and joy while you're there. So even from a selfish perspective, what is better? To give up your happiness and get in strife with a store employee you don't even know? and who is probably doing the best job he can, or to relax and let love rule your heart. Will you feel better when you walk out of the store knowing you snapped at the clerk and gave him a piece of your mind, or that you chose instead to smile and speak an encouraging word? The answer is obvious. No one ever feels blessed when they step out in lo out of love. You'll never say, hey, I had a great day today. I got so mad and talked so ugly that it made me feel happy inside. No, that wouldn't be a great day. That would be a bummer. Once you let the anger and strife get hold of you, it will cost a shadow over everything else you did. By the time you want to bed that night, you'll probably be on edge with everybody. You'll be complaining about what a terrible day it had been. If you really want to enjoy life and see good days, the only way to do it is to work in love. Love not only pleases God and spreads the blessing to others, it makes you happy too. Surely, it's the best kind of selfishness there is. April the 3rd. Stay connected to the Spirit. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelt with you and shall be in you. John fourteen fifteen and 17. We'll never experience any real success in life without the help of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who communicates to us the will of God for our lives. He's the one who shows us the path that will lead to our divine destiny. The Amplified Bible calls him our comforter, our counselor, our helper, our intercessor, 
our advocate, our strengthener, and our standby. Jesus said he is the one who will teach us all things. John 14, 26. If we encounter a problem, it is the Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom so we know what to do. If we find ourselves ensnared in some kind of trouble, he reveals the truth that will make us free. When we're weak, he strengthens us. When we see what to do, when we see what to do but can't do it in our own, he takes hold together with us and helps us. The more attuned we are to the voice of the Holy Spirit and the more we are led by him, the more victory we'll experience in our lives. That's one reason we must so earnestly endeavor to continually walk in love. Love puts us in position to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. In John 14 through 16, when Jesus gave his final instructions to his disciples before he went to the cross, we see the command of love mentioned repeatedly throughout the Lord's teaching on the Holy Spirit. Clearly, there is a connection between the two. Since the Holy Spirit is the spirit of love, when we step out of love, we are stepping out of his flow. We are interrupting our connection with him. When we disobey the command of love, he is hindered in his ministry to us. We simply can't afford to let that happen. We need the Holy Spirit helps too much. We need him to help us meet the need of our families. We need him to help us plan our schedules and deal wisely with the challenges we face every day. We need him to constantly guide us so we can avoid the traps and snares of the devil. That's why we must do what it takes to keep our ears open to his voice, our hearts sensitive to his leadings, and ourselves in position to be controlled by him. That's why we must be diligent to live a life of love. April the 4th. The blessing line is moving. Gloria Copeland. When Peter opened his mouth and said, Oh, said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of person, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. This is from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 35. Again, then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth perceive that God is not respecter of person, that is no respecter of person. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Acts 10, 34 and 35. 35. People who depend on this world system for prosperity and promotion instead on the blessing and goodness of God perpetually fall prey to envy and strife. If they see someone else prospering more than they are, they don't rejoice. They get mad. They may even connive and scheme ways to overturn that person's success. Like hungry kids in a cafeteria line, they push and shove each other out of the way so that they can get first place. It's really not surprising people act the way. After all, the world system just isn't fair. It favors the rich over the poor. It rewards the beautiful and ignores the plain. Worldly promotions don't always go to the faithful. They always, often go to those with the best social connection or the right family name. Worldly people who don't claw and stretch their way to the top may never get there at all. So that's what they do. <clears throat> they did it 
in Bible times, and they do it today. We see Genesis 37, that Joseph's brother actually threw him in a well and then sold him into slavery because they envied the blessing he was walking in. It made them mad that he was his father's favorite. They were jealous of the call of God in his life, so they tried to get rid of him and steal his place. Of course, in Joseph's case, those worldly tactics didn't work. Joseph kept depending on God, and despite his brother's actions to overthrow him, he just kept rising to the top. Instead of hindering his destiny, the wicked things they did actually serve to help him along. That's always the way things work in the kingdom of God. If you just keep walking in love and depending on him, he'll see to it that you keep rising to the top. He'll take even the evil things people do to you and turn them to, the, to your good. When they throw hindrances in your path, God will turn them into stepping stones. That's because God is no respecter of person. He doesn't show preference to those of, of a certain race, nationality, or family tree. The blessing is for everyone who loves him. It works to promote all those who faithfully serve him. As children of God, we are all standing in the same blessing line so we can fully enjoy each other's successes. We can walk in love and be free of jealousy, as one friend of mine says. God's blessing line is like a marvelous buffet. As we watch the people ahead of us carrying plates piled high with food, we don't have to worry. We, don't, we know there's more than enough, and instead of envying them, their progress makes us happy. It means the line is moving and our turn is coming soon. April the 5th, Limitless Love. Persons, reason to be humble. James chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and verse 10. God resisted the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he, and he will flee from you. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. God delights in blessings us. That's what he always wants to do. But if we stop walking in love and start struffling in pride, the blessings will stop working for our own good. Rather than promoting our success, the Bible says he actually starts resisting it because pride works contrary to God's ways. And if he must, he will let us fall and fail and fail again until we admit our own weakness and rid ourselves of pride. Personally, I don't ever want to want that to happen to me. I'd rather humble it myself as the scripture commands and let God lift me up. Then lift myself up in pride to where I have to be brought down. Then I'd rather watch over my heart day by day to be sure that I am not being boastful or haughty according to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. Love is simply not that way. It's not conceited, it's not arrogant, and it is not puffed up with pride. Sometimes we jokingly say, hey, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. But all joking aside, God himself is the greatest there is. God himself 
is the greatest there is. <clears throat> there is, yet he is exceedingly humble. He's the creator of the universe, yet when we ask him for help, he's willing to attend to the smallest details of our lives. He is never too busy to listen. His fellowship with all who call on his name, kings and beggars alike, he alone has reason to be proud. Yet there isn't a tread of pride in him. If we want to enjoy his abundant blessings, we'll be the same way. When he begins to prosper us, we won't foolishly point to our successes and say, look what I've done. We'll remember that it's God who gave us the power to get wealth. He is the true reason for our success. The fact is, most of the good he has done in our lives, he has done it in spite of us, not because of us. And if we're wise, we'll never let ourselves forget it. At times, you might be tempted to say, sure, God has prospered me, but I did the work. I studied hard. I went to school. I spent hundreds of hours practicing, planning, and developing my skills. Why shouldn't I take some other credit? Because God is the one who gave you the strength to work. He's the one who gave you the funds for school. The ability to study and the sense to develop the talents he gave you. You can yield to pride and take credit, but you'll lose his blessing in the process. And any way you look at it, that's a very poor exchange. Limitless Love, March 25th and 26th by Gloria Copeland. Practice makes perfect. 1 John 3.10 In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth nor his brother. Neither he that loveth not his bro brother. Excuse me. You might assume that since love comes naturally, to your reborn human spirit, you should be able to perfectly walk in love the moment you're born again. But if you ever tried it, you know that's not true. We learn to walk spiritually much the same way we learn to walk naturally. When we were toddlers, we were clumsy at first. We frequently tottered and fell, but we kept at it. We kept practicing and practicing and practicing until we got it right. Why? If our spirits are already made righteous and loving, do we have to practice so diligently to act that way? Because righteous behavior like love are foreign to our flesh. Before we gave our lives to the Lord, our flesh developed the habit of behaving in selfish, unloving ways. As a result, even when our reborn spirit indeed is willing to do the right, we initially find that our flesh is weak. Matthew 26, 41. How do we overcome that weakness? By doing two things. First, we must feed and straighten our spirit by spending time with God in the Word and in prayer. Second, we must exercise it by stepping out in faith and practicing our love walk. When we stumble and fall, instead of being discouraged, we simply repent, receive forgiveness, then get up and get at it again. We keep on practicing until we get it right. 
If you think about it, that's the way we learn to do everything. We even learn to sin that way, even though we were born into this world as sinners with a fallen nature. Even though sin came naturally to us, we still had to practice to get good at it. If you were a smoker, for example, the first time you ever smoked a cigarette, you didn't like it. It made you sick. If you're like most people, you turn green and cough, but you kept practicing until you could smoke a pack or two a day without even thinking about it. The first drink of alcohol a person has doesn't usually taste very good to them, but if they keep practicing, they'll develop a desire, possibly even a craving for it and they can end up drinking every day. Praise God that principle works in reverse too. Once we're born again and quit practicing sin, we lose the taste for it. Sinful things we once enjoyed don't even appeal to us anymore. Instead, we develop a desire to work in love, and though we may not do it well at first, as we keep practicing and practicing, we can be assured well enough to get it right. Walking in love. The next uh, March 26 is Ephesians 3, 14 and 19. For this cause I bow my knees under the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, 14 and 19. As sincere believers, we all long to see the presence and power of God manifest in our lives. We want to lay hands on the sick and see them recovered. We want to cast out demons and let the oppressed go free. We want to move supernaturally in the gift of the Spirit so that Jesus can bless others through us. As much as it possible, this side of heaven, we want to be filled with all the fullness of God. What's the key to walking in that kind of fullness? Ephesians 3 tells us it is knowing God's love. Not just understanding it intellectually, not just being able to quote scriptures about it, but having our lives rooted and grounded in it, having a heartfelt comprehension of it that comes from experiencing it for ourselves. One reason love is so vital to operating in God's power is that it keeps us from sin. Just read the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 and you'll see that God's power and sin just don't mix. When he comes on the scene in fullness, sin has to go. And the person who is attached to that sin just might end up with it. When we walk in love, however, we're walking without sin. Love protects us from it. It's the insulator that enables God to move in power in us and through us without blowing us away. Love brings us to the place where God can manifest himself more fully in our lives. No wonder the Apostle Paul prayed that way he did for the Ephesians church. No wonder he continually bowed his knee before the Father and our Lord and asked him to strengthen them and establish them in the understanding and experience of Christ's love. He knew that more than anything else, love would enable them to be all God 
has called them to be. The same is true for us, and thank God we can pray the same prayer Paul prayed for ourselves and for others, for each other. No matter how much we may already know of God's love, there is always more to learn. So every day of our lives, we can boldly ask for and receive an increased revelation of love. Day by day, we can increasingly be filled with more of the fullness of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Reading Limitless Love 21st. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to read your word and consider what it's saying to us, Lord. Thank you that you keep us in the eyes, in your eyes for your glory and your honor, Lord. Do to us, Lord God, that we can do for ourselves, Lord. Take us to the next level that we may see your glory. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. March 21st, take a crash course on love. Psalms 35, 27, and 28. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yeah, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified. Let the Lord be magnified. Come on, say it with me. Say, let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. Psalms 35, verses 27 and 28. Some people are dismayed when they find out that faith is what opens the door to, for God to work in their lives. They're upset when they learn that his love can only manifest to the max when they believe his word in their hearts and speak it out with their mouths. I suppose that's because they're not sure they can change. They live so long with doubt in their hearts and unbelief in their lips, they're afraid it would take too long to turn things around. If you had those kinds of thoughts, let me reassure you that your fears are unfounded. You can throw the door of fate open wide, and you can do it speedily by taking what I call a crash course in the love of God. You can throw yourself wholeheartedly into his word by spending extra time reading and meditating on what the scripture says about his goodness. You can do what Psalm 35 says and keep those verses continually in your heart and in your mouth. When you're putting dishes in a dishwasher, you can praise him for his loving kindness. When you're driving to work in your car, you can shout and sing and say, I magnify you, Lord. I magnify you because you take pleasure in my prosperity I thank you, Lord, for blessing me. I magnify you. I know you can because that's what Ken and I did. When we found out that fate was the way to open the door to God's blessings, we just went for it. The first year we learned about fate, we hardly did anything except read, study, and listen to tapes of the Word. I'm not saying we ignore the responsibilities of life. We worked and took care of our families, but when... We weren't occupied with those duties. We gave ourselves wholly to the Word of God. I got so full of the Word, it just flowed out of me. I remember one time in particular, I was outside hanging clothes on the clothesline and thinking about the Word. The telephone rang, and it was so filled with excitement and faith that when I answered the phone, I said, Hallelujah, instead of hello. You can do the same thing. Instead of barely cracking open the door of faith, throw it 
wide open. Pull it off its hinges by jumping into the word with both hands and feet. Take a crash course by filling your heart and your mouth with the word of God's love. You'll be amazed how quickly things can turn around. Beautiful, beautiful. Let's go ahead and read March 22nd, also by Gloria Copeland. The grace that just won't quit. By grace have you been saved completely in time past, with the present result that you are in a state of salvation which persists throughout present time. Through present time. Ephesians 2.8, West Translation, W-U-E-S-T. By grace you have been saved completely in times past, with the present result that you are in a state of salvation which persists through present time. Amen. One of the most wonderful things about God's grace, is His loving favor towards us, is that it just won't quit. It persists to keep us in a constant state of salvation, so it's there for us every time we need it. And we need it all the time. It doesn't come because we earned it or deserved it either. It's there simply because God loves us and He is good. Actually, that's the reason for every blessing God has ever given us. No one has ever deserved God's goodness except the Lord Jesus Himself. Left on our own, the rest of us deserve nothing but judgment and punishment from God. But thank heaven, God didn't leave us on our own. He sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sins and to give us his own righteousness. That in itself was the greatest thing grace could ever do for us. And God provided that grace when we were at our very worst. He gave it while we were still spiritually dead and living in sin. But he didn't stop there. As, as Romans 8.32 says, He who spared not his own son but gave him up to die for us will also freely Give us all other things. He'll keep sending His grace and surrounding us with it for eternity. His favor and power will hoover over us 24 hours a day so that all we have to do is reach out by faith and receive whatever we need. Sometimes we think we're waiting on God, but the truth is He is waiting on us. He has already done everything it takes for us to have all our needs met but for His provision and grace to be activated in our lives. We must believe Him for it. That's just the way God's system operates. Take the new birth, for example. God has provided it for every person under the sun. It's available to everyone 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A person can be alone in the deepest jungle in Africa. He could be lost and on his way to hell. But the moment he dared to believe in his heart and confess with his mouth that Jesus is the Savior, the grace of God would be there to save him. At that instant, God's power will be released in his life and he'll be born again. Just think, the same grace is still available to us today. It persists in our lives to bring us salvation in every area, spirit, soul, and body. If we would just dare to believe and receive all the the devils in hell can stop the goodness of God from going to work in our lives. Nothing can defeat us as long as we keep on receiving the grace that just won't quit. Amen. 
Let's keep going. March 23rd, Limitless Love. God is willing and able. Romans chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I had made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God who quickened the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Romans chapter 4, 16 to 21. Gloria Copeland. When you first begin to hear about the goodness of God and how much He loves you, every circumstance in your life may seem to deny it. You may be surrounded with such painful situations and dire problems that it looks as if God doesn't care about you at all. That's the way it was for me when I first read Matthew 6 that God loved me and cared, cared about my needs. It looked for all the world, it looked for all the world like He didn't. At that time, Ken and I were completely broke and deeply in debt. We were so poor, we couldn't even afford a refrigerator or a stove. When I cooked potatoes, I boiled them in a coffee pot. But even so, I didn't argue with the Bible. It didn't say, well, God, you need to do something to prove you love me before I believe it. No, I just decided to trust him and gave him my life. After I was born again, I began to hear that God not only wanted to bless me spiritually, but he wanted to prosper me financially. Although things had gotten better for us, prosperity seemed worlds away. The devil would come to me and say, you're never going to be able to afford a nice home. You'll be stuck in this clumsy, dumpy shack forever. Circumstantially, it appeared he was right. But I decided to believe God anyway. I chose to trust his power and his love. I say, no, devil. God loves me and he is willing and able to give me a wonderful home. As a result, I live in my dream house today. No matter what kind of situation you're in today, the same thing will happen to you if you dare to believe that God loves you. Follow the faith of Abraham and instead of considering your circumstances, choose to consider the loving promises of God. Grow strong in faith. Give praise and glory to him for his great, great goodness to you. You'll find God is willing and able to make your dreams come true. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. March 18th, Gloria Copeland. Limitless love. But God, so rich in his mercy... Because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, 
He made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to some to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of his great grace, his unmerited favor in his kindness and goodness of heart toward us in Christ Jesus. Woo! Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4, 5, and 7. That's one of the reasons I love reading this word of God through the Copelands. This one's through Gloria Copeland because I get to... Uh, I get to exercise my senses in, in the beautiful literature, scripture, God's word, the one that Paul wrote. I love the book of Ephesians. I have taken the time to memorize chapters 1, verses 15 through 22. So I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Testament. To get a, a easy clarity, I just read it in the Amplified Bible, so uh, I'm gonna. So bear with me. Let's go ahead and pray. God, grant us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're telling us in your Word. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, give us your your love today. Amen. Okay, here we go. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so very much that even while we were dead because of our sins he gave us life when he raised christ from the dead it is only by god's special favor that we have been saved <clears throat> and so god can always point us point to us examples of the incredible wealth of his favor and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us through Christ Jesus. Everything the Lord does for us is through Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to you. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for living and working through us for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Gloria goes on to say, these verses gives us a staggering glimpse in the greatness of God's love. They reveal that he saved us not only to spare us from hell, but also so he could demonstrate in our lives forever the limitless nature of his love. He did it because he wanted to eternally bless us and demonstrate his goodness to us. Demonstrate his goodness to us. Think about that. God's great desire is to pour out his loving kindness on you. He'll want to demonstrate his love in your family. He wants to demonstrate it in your church. He wants to demonstrate it in your city. He wants his goodness and love to so flood your life that it overflows unto people in the world around you. He wants them to look at you and exclaim, Wow, God really is good. He truly is a God whose love knows no limit. That's the heart of God. That's why he has done all this. He longs to demonstrate his love and mercy. He yearns to express his boundless compassion. What's more, he will always want to do that. Scripture says that for eternity, 
throughout the ages to come. He'll come on demonstrating his love for us. Traditional religion thought something different. It said that God just wanted to demonstrate that love for a few years while Jesus was on the earth or until the last of the apostles died or until the books of Acts was finished. But praise God, that's not what the Bible says. It says he'll keep on demonstrating his love towards us throughout the ages to come. It says God's love will never be satisfied. Woohoo! God is not going to wake up one morning and say, I'm finished pouring out my love. I'm not going to heal people anymore. I'm not going to work miracles. I'm just going to let those things pass away. That will never happen. Every day of our lives, God is going to be there desiring to demonstrate his love to you by meeting your needs and blessing you beyond your fondest dreams. Even when your, your natural life is over and you step into the next age, God will keep right on sh showing forth his love for you. Throughout eternity, he intends to make you a living demonstration of his immeasurable love. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray on that one. Lord, have your way with us, through us, for, for us. Lord, make yourself a demonstration of your love through us, Lord. Through us, by Christ Jesus, Lord, in working in us. We thank you for that, Lord. Be it unto us according to thy word. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. That was a beautiful reading, folks. That is awesome. March 19. Moving on. The choice that brings eternal reward. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, it says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. One reason we stumble in our love walk is because we put too much importance Upon the natural things of life, we get irritated and speak unkindly when someone puts a blemish on our favorite piece of furniture. For example, we lash out in anger at someone because they denied our new car, dented our new car. Humanly speaking, that is understandable, but in the economy of God, it is a grave mistake. The reason is simple. The natural things of this world are temporary. A few months or a few years from now, our material possessions will all be gone. The eternal rewards for walking in love, however, will last forever. Reward day. Reward day is coming. Extra, extra, read all about it. A reward day is coming, you know. The Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad, 2 Corinthians 
On that day, the Lord won't be rewarding us for, for how beautiful we care for our furniture. He won't be commending us for the perfect condition of our cars. Those things won't matter a bit. He'll be examining our lives to see how well we kept the one commandment he gave us. He'll be looking to see if we love one another. You'll walk more consistently in love if you constantly keep that in mind. You'll keep your flesh in check if you remember that the life you're living on this earth isn't your only life. It's simply your opportunity to plant seeds for your eternal life to come. And though God will give of the blessing to come, they're part of, his, of this fallen creation. And no matter how much time and energy you invest in them, They'll never be perfect. Again, let me read that again. And though God will give you richly all things to enjoy while you're here on this earth, they are all only flawed representations of the blessings to come. They're part of this fallen creation, and no matter how much time and energy you invest in them, they'll never be perfect. <laughs> Did you get that? Beautiful. So don't let natural things overcome you. Don't let them capture your affections. Keep your heart set on God and never ever treat things more lovingly than you treat people. Remember, people are more important than things. Their feelings are more important than things. When your wife bangs up your pickup truck that you just painted, <laughs> you got to say, thank you, God, for three days, 24 hours a day. So make sure the root of bitterness does not take root in your heart and just surrender. How do I know that? When you're tempted to do it, Gloria goes on to say, take authority over your flesh and put it in, the, in its place. Remind yourself that judgment time is coming and make the choice that will bring you eternal rewards. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, would you like one more? How about March 20th? Let's go ahead and do tomorrow's by Gloria Copeland. Love's hundredfold return. That's Mark 10, 28 and 30. Mark chapter 10, verses 28 29 and 30. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that has left houses or brethren or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution. Huh. And in the world to come, eternal life. Amen. What a promise, huh? Whew, that just blows the imagination. Notice that he said right here that you weren't going to get a hundred wives back. Huh. I wonder how, how uh, Solomon found a loophole on that one. He got more than 100 wives back. Matter of fact, about 1,000 wives? I don't know. I don't remember. 
Gloria goes on to say, anyone who has obeyed the commandment, the command of Jesus to walk in love has discovered that obedience can at times seem costly. Sacrifices will inevitably have to be made. There will be occasions when people will take advantage of you. Ha. There will be situations where love requires you to lay down your own rights. There will be times when, because of love, you must take some natural possession you treasured or enjoyed and give it to another who needs it more than you. How do you make those sacrifices without feeling bitter and resentful? How do you avoid the martyr syndrome that will cause you to constantly remind people how much you've given up for the sake of love? You do it by joyfully trusting the promise Jesus made in Mark 10.30. You confidently expect the blessing to be activated so richly, your sacrifices pale by comparison, you dare to expect the hundredfold return. In practical terms, that means if love requires you to take the money you save up for a new car and give it to a brother who has no car at all, you rejoice believing that God will provide you with the finances for an even better car than the one you were planning to buy. It means if you choose to walk in love and refuse to fight the co-worker who snatched the promotion that should have been yours, you can happily anticipate or even greater blessing and promotion to come to your direct to you directly from the hand of God. It doesn't matter what seemingly setbacks may come. It doesn't matter how much it may look like you lost at the game of life. If you keep walking in love and believing God, he will see to it that you end up a winner. He will replace what you sacrifice for his sake with something a hundredfold better. Instead of feeling bitter and resentful, you'll end up grateful for the opportunity you had to lay down your life for the master. You'll find that in the best, in the end, walking in love doesn't cost. It pays with riches that last beyond this life and into the life to come. Amen. Well, we're, when we are in service, we double up and get rid of the things that are not serving people. Uh, like our little projects, our little things, make room for being of service to the people of God, and that way it won't be a burden. It won't be encumbersome to be to think ahead, prepare ahead. Um, preparation is the key. It used to be, um, what it used to be, spend eight hours or four hours preparing for a 20-minute sermon, something like that, you know. Don't just leave it to chance. And it's the same thing with our service work. If we have a commitment, spend a few hours doing the preparation ahead of time so you got it down packed that it will be easy to pick up when the time comes to do the service work. And praying for the individuals ahead of time too that they will see, uh, they will see greatness and glory and honor by seeing Jesus inside of us as we do service work. As we pray for our neighbors, we, we know we pray ahead of them so we won't dog them. Anyway, God bless you. Take care. Give them heaven. Enjoy this day, this, this podcast. Let's go ahead and pray. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. And I pray for your souls that will prosper, your souls that will be healthy, and your souls that will be happy with laughter and joy. In the name of Jesus Christ and Nazareth. Amen. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus and John the Baptist. Doubt is a troubling reality for those of us in recovery. We doubt ourselves and we doubt others. Even John the Baptist doubted that Jesus was the promised Messiah the one who would come to offer physical and spiritual healing to his people. Jesus answers John's doubts by pointing to his miraculous healings and restorations. Such an impressive resume should also convince us that Jesus is willing and able to meet our greatest needs for recovery and restoration. And that is on verse 2 to 6. Let's go ahead and read that. It says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all these things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or shall we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told him, Go back to John and tell him that you have heard what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, and those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Wow. Don't get Jesus riled up. In verses 16 through 19 of chapter 11, when we are in denial, we tend to resist those who challenge our comfort zones. We find excuses not to accept the good advice of others no matter what they do or say. We become cynical and try to justify our inconsistencies. The message of recovery is too joyful and hopeful for some or it is too realistic and direct to others. Recovery is too structured for those of us who are used to doing our own thing. It is too liberating to those of us from a legalistic background. But such perspectives are only blind excuses that keep us from facing our need for recovery which is glaring out extremely loud. Verses 16 through 19 says, 
to what can I compare this generation? It's like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. And so we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking. And you say he is possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, and the other, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Again, wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Amen. One thing about us in the 12-step program, that we are in there with the sinners, with the people of ill report, a lot of us that drank more, used more than we needed, and excessively done, messed up our goals that we had in our hearts and our lives. And we get a second chance to go at those goals if we get cleaned up in the program and move forward. Achieving things of interest will not pull us out out of the, the thing that gave us life, the program. Even though a lot of us do. We go into, oh, well, I'm going to stay in the church, or I'm going to stay in college, or I'm going to go to physical fitness, or I'm going to help out in my family. And, and your compassion, like the Messiah would for others, is dropped. And you keep working with others that are dead horses. And you think, well, I'm doing 12-step work. <clears throat> they, ain't, they ain't compassion either for others. And you justify your thing. We got to be out there in the front lines, folks. Where, where it gets hurt, where it gets bloody, where they talk about you, where they take money, where they... And be in there for the, for the people that God is sending so you can be a demonstration of, of love and service and tolerance and doing this without any pay, being of service. And they can see right through you that you, you have, like we saw through others when we first came to the program, we saw individuals that were sorry for their youthful actions and were doing something now in their silvery days, silver hair days, to make up for the wrong they did. And that's wisdom. It says right here, but wisdom is shown to be right by its results. So the results is that someone with compassion in their eyes, I knew that whatever this program was, I would not fail. They would teach me. I could not, they would teach me what they had. And that, my folks, my friends, is chapter 11 of Matthew for right now. Okie doke. Wait a minute. There's a prayer of thanksgiving that Jesus prays right here. Let's go ahead and close with that. It says, At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. That's chapter 11, verse 25. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the children. Yes, Father, it pleases you to do it this way. 
My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, my program, and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my program is easy to bear, and the burden of service I give you is light. Amen. No better way has been put than this way. As I read this, I remember I was going to take a, a lady attorney and her sister to a meeting so she can, she has six years at one time. And she fell off working with criminals. Someone gave her some gr- grass, one of the criminals that she was representing, and she's off and running again. So I opt, and they said, okay, uh, I'll meet you at in the morning and so I prayed the night before that that God would touch their lives and change them, right? I'm being of service. I go across town a few miles. It was a little bit further, a little bit out, and get there and um, take them to the meeting. Anyway, that night, I had a dream. I had a dream that Jesus was sitting in a stool in back of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions, the posters, like one of these uh, rooms where you can see the, the glass, the plexiglass, you, can, you can't see in there. But it, he was looking through the 12 steps and the 12 traditions at the people sitting down, getting ready to start the meeting. And there were people were bringing their court cards. There's about 25, 30 people. Now, Jesus has got his white robe with with his red, um, you know, thing around his neck, his body, handkerchief. And there's a police officer standing right next to him, a man in blue from the LAPD, and he has a little pad and pencil, and he's, and Jesus has got his finger, and he's pointing at the crowd in back of the 12 Steps, 12 Traditions, and he's pointing at the people saying, telling, whispering to the police officer. And the police officer is taking notes, is scribbling down everything Jesus is saying. And Jesus is pointing with his finger. So-and-so, that person's not going to get it. That person needs more uh, apprehension or whatever. I could just, I couldn't hear what they were saying. I just saw myself in the, in the background watching all this take place. And the people out, it was very colorful, very light in the room. And that was in uh, Los Amigos Fellowship in East L.A., Montebello. And I came up to the conclusion that day when I got up there to smoke, I said, this is the last house on the block. If you don't get this, this easy yoke, this easy program that Jesus is offering to you, you're going to, you may not even ever make it back. You, you know, the, the only, the opportunity is death, institution, and jails. Jails, institutions, and death. 
That's your choice. You're pushing the envelope way out of the proportion. And you think that because life is easy in the United States, your parents are paying your bills, your parents gave you love, your parents gave you your start. <clears throat> now you, we are turning around and sabotaging the, the, the society. Somebody paid the price to put uh, roads and, and toilets and water systems and education systems to make it easy. And we're taking advantage of all that, pissing on it, smearing shit on people's faces, you know, <clears throat> asking people to change our own diaper. We can't take care of ourselves. Just <clears throat> smearing shit on our on our children's faces and our, and our neighbors and our 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 moms and dads and brothers and sisters because we can't take care of ourselves because we somebody offended us. Haven't been grown up. That's <clears throat> that's about the truth of it, folks. That's what I came out. <clears throat> that's what I concluded. Anyway, kicking upstairs, this is called. Kicking you upstairs. <clears throat> get up and get on with it and be of service. And stop your, Fernando, stop your whimpering. And just, life will be over very soon. <clears throat> life will be over before you know it. You're going to be known by the right actions that you have for others. <clears throat> God bless you. Give them heaven. Enjoy the rest of the day. Limitless Love, April the 3rd. Stay connected to the Spirit by Gloria Copeland. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. John 14, 15, and 17. We never experience any real success in life without the help of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who communicates to us the will of God for our lives. He's the one who shows us the path that will lead to our divine destiny. The Amplified Bible calls him our comforter, our counselor, our helper, our intercessor, our advocate, our strengthener, and our standby. Jesus said he is the one who will teach us all things. John 14:26. If we encounter a problem, it's the Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom so we know what to do. If we find ourselves ensnared in some kind of trouble, He reveals the truth that will make us free. When we're weak, He strengthens us. When we see what to do but can't do it on our own, He takes hold together with us and helps us. The more attuned we are to the voice of the Holy Spirit and the more we are led by Him, the more victory we'll experience in our lives. That's one reason we must so earnestly endeavor to continually walk in love. Love puts us in positions to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. In John 14 through 16, where Jesus gave His final instructions to His disciples before He went to the cross, 
We see the command of love mentioned repeatedly throughout the Lord's teachings on the Holy Spirit. Clearly, there is a connection between the two. Since the Holy Spirit is the spirit of love, when we step out of love, we are stepping out of His flow. We are interrupting our connection with Him. When we disobey the command of love, He is hindered in His ministry to us. We simply can't afford to let this happen. We need the Holy Spirit's help too much. We need Him to help us meet the needs of our families. We need Him to help us plan our schedule and deal wisely with the challenges we face every day. We need Him to constantly guide us so we can avoid the traps and snares of the devil. That's why we must do what it takes to keep our ears open to His voice, our hearts sensitive to His leading, and ourselves in position to be controlled by Him. That's why we must be diligent to live the life of love. Amen. April the 2nd, Limitless Love, Gloria Copeland. A new kind of selfishness. In 1 Peter 3, verses 10 through 12, the NIV For whoever will love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. As believers, we ought to walk in love just because God commands us to. We should do it simply because we want to be a blessing to him and to his children. But the fact is, even if we didn't love for the Lord's sake, we should do it for our own sakes. Because when we walk in love, we enjoy our lives more than when we don't. We're happier and we have better days when we live a life of love. Extending love to others so enhances our own joy and well-being that one Christian writer calls it a new kind of selfishness. Think about the ordinary events of life for a moment and you'll quickly see why. When you're in line at the grocery store, for instance, and the clerk at the checkout corner is especially slow, if you choose to be irritable and impatient instead of loving and kind, you won't be happy. On the contrary, you'll become increasingly miserable as the minutes tick by. All your fussing and fuming won't change the situation at all. It will make the clerk one bit faster. I know because I tried it. It won't get you out of the store one second sooner. It will just rob you of your pace and joy while you're there. So even from a selfish perspective, which is better, to give up your happiness and get in strife with a store employee you don't even know and who is probably doing the best job he can, or to relax and let love rule your heart. While you feel better when you work, when you walk out of what the store knowing you snap at the clerk and give him a piece of your mind, or that you chose instead to smile and speak an encouraging word. The answer is obvious. No one ever feels blessed when they step out of love. You'll never say, hey, 
I had a great day today. I got so mad and talked so ugly that it made me feel happy inside. No, that would be a great day. That would be a bummer. And once you let that anger and strife get a hold of you, it will cast a shadow over everything else you did. By the time you went to bed that night, you'll probably be on edge with everybody. You'll be complaining about what a terrible day it has been. If you really want to enjoy life and see good days, the only way to do it is to walk in love. Love not only pleases God and spreads the blessings to others, it makes you happy too. Surely it's the best kind of selfishness there is. Amen, amen. Walking in love requires for me to read 1 John 1 through 5 on a daily basis. I haven't done it for a while, but... That's what love bubbles over when I read a lot or read a lot of scripture. Now for April the 1st, Gloria Copeland. A legacy that is worthy of the Lord. This is taken from John 13, verse 35, New American Standard Bible. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What is your single greatest ambition in life? Have you ever thought about that? If Jesus tarries and you live out your days, what legacy will you leave behind? How will you be remembered? It seems many people in Christian circles these days are eager to be remembered as spiritual giants of faith and power. Others want to succeed financially and give great sums of money into the kingdom of God. Some relish the idea of having a reputation as a great teacher or theologian who will be quoted for years to come. All those things are good, I suppose, but I can't help wondering what kind of impact we as believers would have on the world if we all made our primary ambition, our life's greatest quest to be the most loving people the world has ever known. What would happen if our single highest aim was simply to love one another? I can tell you what would happen. The world would finally know we are truly the disciples of Jesus. They would at last see and recognize him in us. The world is absolutely starving for that kind of love. It's the only cure for the rejection and insecurity that plagues their lives. It's the only remedy for the depression and oppression they live with every day. Granted, they are looking for it in all the wrong places. Even so, they are looking for it. Imagine what would happen if they suddenly began to see it in us. I once read the story of a missionary in China who lived a life of such love and self-sacrifices that is softened the hardest heart around her. Even men whose lives had been steeped in sin and cruelty, whose hearts were stubborn and scornful at the things of God, were won by the influence of this woman's kind and gentle ways. Although she was just one small woman, by the time her life was through, she had reaped a great harvest of souls for the Lord, and most remarkable of all, The Chinese had nicknamed her the one who loves. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if that was the people of the world called the church in the days to come? Wouldn't it be great instead of referring to us as right-wingers or conservatives? Fine as those might be, they began to refer us as to the ones who love. Truly, that would be the greatest legacy that we could ever leave. The only one that is re- really worthy of the Lord. The one who loves. If no one's told you they love you, you're the one who loves and I love you. Thank you for listening in today for these four readings from Gloria Copeland, Limitless Love. Thank you.